Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Inspirational Living Podcast. I'm Ryan Cassidy. And I'm Marianne Johansson. Inspirational Living Podcast is a weekly show that inspires and motivates you to live an emotionally and spiritually balanced life. Tonight we visit a country where it's been said you can go skiing in the morning and sunbathing by the sea in the afternoon. So grab yourself a cup of tea or something good as we explore castles, mountains, archaeological sites, and more in this episode of Inspirational, Sacred, and Mysterious Lebanon. everyone. We had a handful of places to talk about tonight, and it was really, really hard to narrow it down to just a few places because Marianne and I, we both found that Lebanon is such a diverse place, but I think you and I, both Marianne, agreed that we wanted to shed some light on what an amazingly beautiful and inspirational country this is. And I know there are many who don't know much about Lebanon, except for maybe perhaps what has happened to it in the recent news. And we are both devastated for the people and for the country, for our friends as well who are from there. And so we kind of wanted to do this show today to spread some love and to reframe the context of what Lebanon may be known for from its past and its recent tragedies. And... You know, it's really a very charismatic place. It's honestly highly idolized in many parts of the world as a, like a fashion hub. It's really artsy. It's charming. And it's just got this real nice mixture of East meets West about it. Yeah, wow, you said that so well, Ryan. And we are sending out our warm thoughts and our love to our friends and to everyone who is affected by this recent tragedy and to a population and a country that has endured so much. And when researching for today, I learned that Lebanon has nearly 5,000 years of recorded history. And one thing that struck me while reading and looking at pictures was the pride and the resourcefulness and, and the creativity that is so easy to witness in the stories and the ancient ruins. Uh, Lebanon just seems to have infused its people with these strengths throughout the times. And um, I, I just feel it's really unique, Ryan, as um, I, I know that you do as well. Um, and I just wanted to mention a quote by um, Khalil Gibran, the famous Lebanese writer and, and poet, who said, beauty is not in the face, beauty is a light in the heart. And I think he not only captured the spirit of people in general with this quote, but that this quote maybe also sends a message to today's Lebanon and its its people. Oh, that's a nice quote. Love that. Um, all right. So mm. our first place, this is the first place that we're going to talk about. It's kind of a sacred and a mysterious place all in one. And it's um, it's only 67 kilometers from Beirut. And it's an ancient temple complex. It's called Balabek. So in Greek uh, and in the Roman times, it was called uh, Heliopolis. I hope I'm saying that right. Which is Greek for sun city. 
and it's home to two of the largest temples. So there's the Temple of Bacchus, who is the Roman god of agriculture, wine, fertility, and in Greek, this is the god uh, Dionysus. And it's also the home to the Temple of Jupiter. Now, Jupiter is the king of the gods in the Roman mythology, and he's the god of sky and thunder, and he's also known in Greek mythology as Zeus, so some of you may know him as Zeus. But before the Romans arrived, Balabek was home to a Phoenician temple, and this temple was created for the god Baal, who is also known as the sun god. So I find that really interesting that the sun god and Heliopolis, meaning sun city, it makes sense. Um, but before the Phoenicians, it was home to the largest stone in the entire world, and that's the one we're going to talk about today. So, Marianne, um, there's just so much information about Balabag, but I'm just going to narrow it down to just a few bits and pieces, um, kind of like what I mentioned about the, the two temples, because I find, especially, I, I just get excited because myself, I've been there. Um, I know, I've only been to Lebanon once. And I honestly, I hope to go back again soon, um, hopefully to go for a nice skiing trip one day. Um, but when my eldest son was about, I think he was six months old, my husband and I decided we were going to just take a trip to Beirut and just explore. And let me tell you, Marianne, it is one of the most beautiful cities I think I've been to. It has this really unique um, dichotomy of Mediterranean, European and like a Middle Eastern feel to it. So you've got like these Mediterranean, um, beautiful style houses, and then this really nice Middle Eastern smells with the food and the perfumes. It's just really beautiful. And I remember we went to Balabek one day. Uh, we had the most amazing, the sweetest and cutest taxi driver uh, who kind of just adopted us for the week that we were there. He took us all around the city, and his, like, he had this old Cadillac, and I think he must have been, I'm really bad at ages, but I want to say he was probably in his late 60s, maybe early 70s. And he would just, like, tell us all these stories as he drove us around. And, you know, he was a really proud man. He was proud of his job, proud of his car, uh, proud of his country. And he just became, like, our Lebanese grandpa. <laughs> and we just had the best time with him. So... Anyway, he took us to um, Baalbek, and I remember when I got out of the car, I just looked around. I walked around the site, and I looked up, and it was just amazing how beautiful it was. I mean, I've never been to Greece myself, so I don't know that feeling of walking through the ruins in Greece, but I imagine that this is what it would have felt like walking through um, a, 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 a Greek ruin. Um, so Baalbek is just absolutely stunning. And my research says that long before the Romans conquered the site and built their enormous temple of Jupiter, long even before the Phoenicians constructed a temple to the god Baal, there stood at Balabek the largest block construction found in the entire world. Now, this is the part that I want to talk about because this is the mysterious stone. This large stone is called Stone of the Pregnant Woman. Right? And in Arabic, that's the Hajar al-Hibba. And it's also known as the Stone of the South, Hajar al-Gubl. But it's, an, it's like 69 feet by 16 feet by 13 feet, 10 inches, which I know that's hard to picture if you're 
you can't imagine that, you have to Google this stone. It's massive. And it weighs an estimated, like, 1,000 tons. It's huge. Wow, what what an amazing experience you had there, Ryan. And I know it's just fascinating with these temples and that large 1,000-ton stone. I mean, you can't even imagine it. Um, I've, I've seen pictures of it um, on, on the Internet, and it, it's absolutely amazing. Um, you just can't imagine how, how huge it is. It must have been so fascinating to, to be there, Ryan, and to, and to see that, to experience that. And, um, you know, Ryan, I've, I've never been to Lebanon, uh, which is something that I, I hope to remedy in the future. Um, but judging from my research and from so many stories from Lebanese friends over the years, I think, I think too, that Lebanon has so much to offer in terms of natural beauty and, and just natural possibilities, really. So, you know, having not been there at all, I think a big part of getting to know and understand the region on any part of the world comes from taking a good look at the history of the place and its people, uh, you know, ancient history as well as more recent history. And with just one look, you see how resourceful people in Lebanon have always been. And I think I'm going to be mentioning this many times today, maybe, but you know, just utilizing whatever the land offers and seeing the resources there and making it their speciality. Um, now, personally, I've always been fascinated with the Phoenicians for some reason. Um, it's, it's, Phoenician is a name that was given for the Canaanites who were living some 5,000 years ago along the coastal areas of what is today Lebanon, Syria, and Jordan. And they established cities in Lebanon, for example, the cities of Biblos and uh, Tyre. And I wanted to mention that the name Phoenician stems from the Greek word phoenix, which means the color purple-red. And the Phoenicians were known for producing this highly valued purple dye, which was used for royal clothing, for example. But, of course, you know, the Phoenicians are also known for their great seafaring abilities and they established a lot of trade ports and coastal settlements throughout the Mediterranean. And I can't help but also notice the relation to the word phoenix, you know, as in the bird rising from the fire, symbolizing rebirth, resolution, and strength, which I think is very characteristic for Lebanon mm, and, I like and that. its people. Really nice. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so that was just a little side comment there about um, Phoenix, but um, but Tyre was uh, what I actually wanted to talk about, this, this ancient sacred city of Tyre, and there's lots of interesting and important things that have happened there. Uh, an island stronghold, and now part of the mainland, with about four to 5,000 years of history behind it, and I read that there's been a lot of interest in this city throughout the times. And a lot of conquests also by the Romans and the Persians and Egypt and even the Crusaders also around 900 years ago. And you can still see ruins of the different eras there. And you can really understand the big interest in the city when you look at the location of Tyre, which, by, which means uh, rock, by the way, or strength. And it's perfect for a stronghold and for venturing out into the Mediterranean Sea, which, of course, the, the Phoenicians did. So I chose a few facts and stories about the city of Tyre just to give an understanding of the the splendor of this place. So Tyre 
was the grandest and richest city of the Phoenicians. And it was incredibly thriving and wealthy and, wealthy and a beautiful city, which its uh, inhabitants were very proud of. And they also enjoyed the natural protection against enemies, as it was an island, and housing some 30,000 people, which I was surprised to, to learn, Ryan. Wow. It, that seems like a lot yeah. of people in one city at that time, huh? Amazing. It does, yeah. Um, yeah. So, and um, secondly, Tyre is also one of the oldest continually inhabited cities in the world, which is fascinating to think of. And, and thirdly, there's a story of uh, Jesus coming there, and once he healed a possessed child somewhere near Tyre, after the child's mother asks Jesus to help her. Um, so those were just a few of the of the facts that I, that I've, uh, I came across. But um, in general, the city of Tyre has a very rough history. There's something very unique and desirable and valuable about this place. And, and I think maybe because of this, um, Tyre has always been the focus of and, you know, had the attention of many different cultures. But um, fast forwarding to today, in today's world, Tyre is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And if I were to mention some other reasons for its uniqueness, uh, apart from its incredible history, I think Tyre also boasts a very colorful, or red, that it boasts a very colorful souk or market area. And it's surrounded by beautiful beaches with the cool turquoise waters of the Mediterranean Sea lapping the shore. So a, a unique city then and now. Yeah, I've seen, uh, as I was doing research for the show, I saw some really beautiful photos of the sea there uh, near Tyre, and yeah. it, is, it looks amazing, definitely a sight to see. Um, now, Marianne, since we're talking about Lebanon and inspirational places, I wanted to mention someone who we both love, 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 and we follow, and he is um, a man named Emmanuel Dagger, and he comes from Lebanon. Uh, he lives in America now, but um, he's a healer, an author, he creates healing music, and he's also known for um, his healing gifts and his humanitarian efforts on behalf of refugee women and children. And his story, Marianne, is amazing. Um, I read it in his last book that he did, Easy, I think it was Easy Breezy Prosperity. Oh, I hope I'm not misquoting that. But uh, he grew up in Lebanon during the Civil War. And he became a refugee moving to the United States with his mom. And when he was just a young kid, you know, and he, he traveled around um, and finally made his way out to the west coast of the United States. But if you're looking for a bit of inspiration or you just really need, like, help understanding how to work um, in alignment with your head and your heart, I find him to be a really, really fantastic resource. He puts out some really nice um, articles and I know he's not sponsoring this at all, but I just wanted to say I really, we both really appreciate him, and so I thought it would be fair enough to mention him as he, he does come from Lebanon. Um, so that's mm. Emmanuel Dagger. Um, now, Marianne, let's take Very a, just a quick so. break just to give our, yeah, he definitely is. Um, let's give our listeners some info on how they can contact us. So if you, I wanted to say boys and girls, but I, re I realize I'm not in school, so I'm not going to say that. Sorry, guys. <laughs> if you want to send us an email or request uh, show topics, just go ahead and say hi by popping onto our Facebook page or email us at inspirationallivingpodcast at gmail.com. All right. Um, 
And we hope that you guys are enjoying so far our sites on Lebanon. And as you know, they have been through really some devastating destruction uh, recently. And I just wanted to mention that we, as humanity, we need to look out for our brothers and sisters. So if you'd like to lend a helping hand or you feel you can or you're in a position where you can, there are some reliable NGOs that you can reach out to. On, um, on the description page of the show, I'll place some of the, the links to them, places like the Red Cross or Impact Lebanon. Um, these are just some really nice uh, uh, NGOs that can help, you know, to, to help the people there, to give some support. And um, I'll just put that in the description section of our show today. There are some links there. Mm-hmm. And also, Marianne, I wanted to mention that you put out your full guided meditation for the leveling up from our last show and uh, I went on your website and I saw that visioning, and it's really definitely, guys, worth checking out um, and maybe even just doing it again in the full-length version. So thanks, Marianne, for doing that. All right, guys, I want to oh. continue our show with uh, our next inspirational place. Did you want to do that, or am I doing that, Marianne? Um, sure, I'll, I'll go ahead and um, I think um, I'm ready for... for for the next place um, but uh, thank you for mentioning that Ryan and uh, and thank you for putting up the names of the NGOs that uh, the, the reliable NGOs that uh, that we can all um, send some uh, help to and uh, uh, I, I just want to agree with you um, it's really such a worthy cause to send help in any way you, uh, that we can to the people in need in, in Lebanon right now so thank you very much Ryan for, for that and you know the NGOs that will funnel the funds to to where it's absolutely needed, um, and we still have a couple of more places we wanted to share with the, our listeners today, Ryan. And um, the next choice is uh, the Bekaa Valley, um, a fertile valley in between two mountain ranges, and one of them marks the border with um, Syria. This valley is the most important farming region of Lebanon, and includes a grand wine production. Also, uh, besides that, it also has many historical elements and sites, again, telling us about the many different cultures that have settled in this country throughout the times. And uh, Lebanon is, in fact, one of the oldest sites of wine producing, I was reading. And again, the Phoenicians played a big role in the spreading and popularity of wine across the Mediterranean, starting around 4,000 years ago. A long time. Um, <laughs> because Valley, I hope I'm saying it this right, Bekaa Valley. Yeah, Bekaa, I would say that too, Bekaa. Bekaa, yeah, I think. <laughs> so two A's. Um, but it contains many places of um, historical and spiritual and cultural interest and value, right? And uh, the Baalbek Temple that you mentioned uh, earlier is, is also located in the Bekaa Valley. And um, there are other temples there that are thought to be of the Roman build, although some of them were built on top of former Phoenician sites and and buildings. And when the Roman paganism fell around 1600 years ago, all these temples were abandoned. And, you know, I was loving doing research on Lebanon, but it seems that no matter what line of interest you have, Lebanon has something to offer to accommodate it. And I'll just mention a few more from the Bekaa Valley, Ryan, if that's okay with you. A yep. few places that I found. Um, so if you enjoy connecting with nature and watching wildlife, there's the, the Amic wetland, 
where you can watch thousands of birds, including migrating birds and local butterflies as well. And there are many mammals here as well, like otters and gazelles, wolves, and many more that uh, I wasn't even aware that all these mammals uh, are present in in Lebanon. And um, for those who find comfort in visiting shrines or sanctuaries, there are two located in this valley in Zali. There is Our Lady of Zali and Bekaa. It's a 10-meter bronze statue atop a 54-meter tower. And there's a site of Christian pilgrimage at the sanctuary of Our Lady in the village of Beshwa. And as another example of the interest and influence of many cultures just south of the city of Hermel, there's the Pyramid Tower of Hermel, which is an ancient Egyptian pyramid tower built with blocks, and some of the, those weigh 40 to 50 tons. Um, staggering um, colossal blocks. Um, and the purpose of the, the tower and even the construction itself remains an enigma. And when I was looking at photos of this tower, I, I just couldn't help wondering if there's more to it underground, you know, Ryan. But um, but that's me, curious George, <laughs> as always. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, you know, Marianne, I couldn't do a show without like this without doing something quirky and fun. So I found on here um, something else that was kind of fun for me. And I hope you guys enjoy this one. This is a – so this is our next place. It is a – quirky design of a true Lebanese visionary. And that's what it said on the internet. Um, And I remember actually driving past this castle when I was there and hearing the story of the man who built it. And it was really inspiring, so I wanted to share that with everyone. In the Shouf region, there is a castle called Musa Castle. Now, Musa is Arabic for Moses, for those of you who don't know. So this is Moses' castle. And it's named after the man who built it, and he made this castle with his own two hands. Um, So when Musa al-Ma'amari was a boy, he was, you know, he was made fun of at school. He was scolded by his teachers. Um, He came from a really poor family, and he was just told that he was a good-for-nothing, and he was told he wouldn't amount to anything. And um, most of the time, his friends would see him just, like, sketching in his notebook, and his teachers would always catch him sketching this dream castle in his notebook. But when um, Musa was 14 years old, he had to leave school um, because he was asked to help his uncle uh, as an apprentice in restoring a castle that was in Lebanon. So while he was working on this castle, he gained a lot of skills, right? So he learned how to build. He learned how to to make a castle, how to, to set everything up, foundation and walls and everything. And later on, he was even commissioned to do different uh, jobs for restoring, restoring various archaeological sites around Lebanon. And one of the jobs paid him. Now, this sounds like a lot of money, but let's bear in mind that this is Lebanese pounds. They paid him 15,000 Lebanese pounds, which, and this is in like 1945. And I went onto the internet to convert that, and you won't believe it. 15,000 Lebanese pounds is like $10, you guys. That's nothing to build a castle, right, to help, like, all of this, not, not to build a castle, but to restore this museum that he was doing, which was, I imagine, quite a bit of work back then. Um, so he was paid $10, but that $10 back in 1945 was a lot of money. And so he was able, 
to take that money and to buy a plot of land so that he could build his dream castle. How sweet is that, you guys, right? So he's been dreaming of this castle, and he finally gets this 10 bucks, and he's like, I'm going to go and build my castle. So in 1965, he lays the foundation of his castle, and he begins hand carving and hand crafting, like, every stone. And this place is like the curiosity shop that never ends, right? So, like, once you go inside, you see there's all this dif- these different um, scenes of what life is like in Lebanon. So you've got these animatronic statues, these wax figures, and, like, whole scenes set out, right? Like, with donkeys and um, people uh, shopping. And, like, he even has a scene set out that replicates his old classroom with the teacher who told him he was a good-for-nothing. So he really just created this castle to be, like, his life, right? So he, he finally builds this castle. He creates this amazing place inside, and then he starts opening it up as a museum, and he starts making money off of it. This man is brilliant, right? So <laughs> I heard that um, if – now, and I remember our taxi driver telling us this story while we were driving around, and we didn't get out to go in the castle because I was like, oh, I'm not sure if I want to go. And I had a five-month-old baby, so it was hard to move around. Um, but evidently – Musa himself. Well, I'm not sure what happened here. I think we lost Ryan. I'm not even sure if I'm uh, on on the air. Um, Ryan, Mary, I hear you. Yep, I can yeah, hear you. Okay. So, so okay. before that, um, he would sit outside his castle and tell everybody about his life there. But he, as I said, he passed away in 2018. Um, but he would give advice to visitors and children while he was there, and he would explain his story, and he would say things to people like, young people should be courageous and never give up, and one should always remember to honor one's parents, right? So I just love this man. He just seems like he was such a brilliant guy, a true visionary. Really, Ryan? Yes, he was. I mean, that sounds like it. And uh, what brilliant advice to give, you know, uh, to always remember to honor your parents and be courageous and, and never give up. I mean, that's, that's all the advice you, you need. <laughs> Excellent um, story. And, um, you know, I just had um, wanted to, to dive into, I think, the last uh, point of interest that we're going to have time for today. And... Um, I had chosen a tower called the Tower of Claudius or Claudius, um, and which is the largest of at least four towers located in the heart of the Lebanon mountains. It is named Tower of Claudius after some inscriptions over the doorway mentioning the Roman emperor Tiberius Claudius. And um, the inscription above the doorway uh, on this tower also mentions a supreme god called Biel Jalassus. I am not sure I'm pronouncing this right, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I gave it a shot. Um, so, <laughs> apologize. <laughs> but um, near the tower is an altar-like structure similar to one that is found in front of the, the Temple of Jupiter in Baalbek. I don't know, maybe you've you've seen an altar-like um, there, Ryan, when you when you were there to visit. Um, and I know that there's a theory that these the platforms have been used for animal sacrifice. And as with other ancient structures, the, their original purpose and age may often be subject to theories and speculation. And so it is with these t- 
towers and altar platforms. The whole site still puzzles archaeologists. Um, and the tower is part of a temple complex dedicated to the god of the gods. Um, I, I read that on, um, on cometolebanon.com. They inform us that the Tower of Claudius originally had a third story and a pyramid-shaped roof. And this is just really adding to the mystery of its origins and its, its purpose. And a um, fascinating piece of history I wanted to mention is the Faraya Bridge, which is not far from the temple site. It's a 50-meter-long bridge made of made of one large stone spanning on an old riverbed where you can actually find fossilized seashells, which I think is interesting considering this area is 1,500 meters above uh, today's sea level. But uh, wow. I'm just hearing now that we, we have to, um, to wrap up for today, so I'm going to hurry up and, and uh, thank all our listeners for staying with us today. We hope you enjoyed our show about Lebanon. It's definitely a country and the people that can make us think of words like solidity, strength, pride, and resourcefulness. We're sending our prayers and thoughts to everyone currently affected by the situation, and we visualize health and prosperity for the benefit of all. All right, so with that, we are going to thank you all for staying with us tonight, and if you have any questions or comments, uh, remember to go onto our website and email us at inspirationallivingpodcast at gmail.com. So with that, we're going to leave you with our roomy quote, the inspiration you seek is already within you. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone.